Aaron launched Risklize back in 2011 under, uh, underscores the importance of making great hires. He's done it 175 times. That's his team size to date. Again, they raised 24 million bucks, helping over 19,000 paying financial advisors who now are paying 145 bucks a month when they join the platform. Uh, they've got a, a, a annual retention rate that's in the low 90s, so super healthy. Spending on average 400 bucks to acquire, call it an $8,000 lifetime value customer. Again, based there, north of San Francisco and Auburn. This is episode 728. Coming up tomorrow morning, you'll learn from David. He launched Edelman's digital branch, and now he's leading artificial intelligence in the marketing world with a brand new product. So what's he betting on? Tune in to find out. But first, here's today's episode. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Aaron Klein. His career has largely been at the intersection of finance and technology. As co-founder and CEO at Riskalyze, he led the company to twice being named one of the uh, world's top 10 most innovative companies in finance by Fast Company Magazine. Today, over 150 risk-lizers serve thousands of advisors who have aligned the world's investments with millions of investors' risk numbers. We'll talk about what that means here in a second. Aaron has served as a Sierra College trustee, and in his spare time, he co-founded a school project for orphans and vulnerable kids in Ethiopia. Investment News has honored him as one of the industry's top 40 under 40 executives. Aaron, are you ready to take us to the top? Hey, let's do it. All right. Riskalyze, financial services, fintech. It's a hot space. Where do you play? What do you do? It is. You know, um, our, our mission and our, our our dream from the very beginning of this company was to uh, empower the world to invest fearlessly. It's our belief that, you know, investing is really broken for the average consumer. They really struggle to understand what they're invested in and how to, how to you know, um, uh, understand the context of of the choices that they're making. And, you know, a big problem is that our psychology works against us as investors, right? Because when markets are up, we're feeling optimistic. We're excited about putting money to work. When markets go down, we start getting fearful. We want to sort of pull back. Uh, Warren Buffett probably said it best that, you know, stocks are the one thing the American consumer refuses to buy when they're at their cheapest and only wants to buy when they're at their most expensive. So we invented this thing called the risk number. And the idea is, is we can create a short-term framework a score to understand how to react to risk appropriately in the short term. And if we can do that using the risk number, that allows us to become a long-term investor. Somewhat counterintuitively, the only way to become a long-term investor is to make a bunch of really great short-term decisions along the way. So we focus on the short-term, very counterintuitive for our industry, but it has really transformed how our industry thinks and talks about risk. In order to understand and really you know, have a lot of confidence behind that statement, you have to do cohort analysis over time to actually see if that pans out. But you have to kind of game that because you haven't been around for 80 years. So how do you know your current short-term decisions do indeed pan out over the long term? Well, I'll put it this way. Um, we know that all the harm that comes from, in, you know, from when people make bad investing decisions, all that harm comes from short-term decisions. What I mean by that is something bad happens in the market, we get scared, we sell at exactly the wrong time. And the reality is what just happened was normal for the kind of portfolio that we've been in. 
So what we need to do is we need the context to understand how to make a good decision in the short term. Uh, and, and, and generally what we've seen is investors who get in, all of a sudden, I'll, I'll give you a really good example. Investors will call advisors who aren't using Riskalyze and they'll say, um, hey, my portfolio is down 2%, am I okay? Um, the normal behavior for that portfolio is that in a six-month period, it could be down 8%, it could be up 12%. Like That's normal for that portfolio that they're in. When you equip the investor with that kind of short-term framework and context for what is normal, you allow them to like get comfortable and go, okay, I get it. Like I've got to be comfortable with my portfolio dropping 8% in a six-month time frame, or I have no business investing in this portfolio in the first place. So why not just go be a keynote speaker and tell the world to expect you know, plus or minus 8% fluctuations? What, what software or tech value does Riskalyze add to the equation? Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that, right? Because everybody's different. And that's one of the things that our industry has not done very well, is we tend to stereotype people based on their age, right? So we go, well, Nathan looks young, therefore he must be aggressive. Or, you know, this investor sitting in front of me looks a little bit older, they must be conservative. And then we take that stereotype and a typical question that you'll see in the industry is something along the lines of, um, well, uh, if your portfolio was a car, what kind of car would it be? Or do you get a thrill out of investing, right? Well, I'll tell you what, I got a far greater thrill out of investing over the last few months than I did in say 2008, Right? That's a market sentiment question. So I stereotype you based on your age, and then I nudge your stereotype a little bit aggressive or conservative based on your market sentiment. I can call that your risk tolerance till I'm blue in the face. It doesn't make it your risk tolerance. What we found actually, we had a team of academics delve into the data and the methodology behind the risk number. And what they found was that about 52% of, of investors aged 20 to 29 are aggressive, just like the stereotype. But the other 48% are spread across the rest of the risk number spectrum. And so what the technology really does is helps the advisor assess who the client is, how much risk they can really handle in a quantitative, objective way. And then it also brings in almost a quarter of a million different securities that advisors might invest their clients in and helps them build a portfolio that actually fits that client's risk number. So it's really about risk alignment. And so I have a bunch more questions about how the tech works. But now that we understand kind of what it is at a high level, help us understand how you make money. Oh, we work with financial advisors and equip them. I mean, what we do is we help them make their clients more successful. We help them, uh, you know, demonstrate to their prospective clients why they're going to bring a different approach to investing than the other advisors who are sort of trying to sweep risk under the rug. And so, you know, we're a subscription software kind of business. We deliver subscription software services for that technology to advisors. Okay. Uh, so it's SaaS, pure SaaS play. It's a it's a pure SaaS play that is in the middle of expanding because we're launching uh, the next generation of our autopilot platform. And autopilot is all about helping advisors take those decisions that they made for clients and riskalyze and actually implement those investing decisions with a click. So it, it, it certainly is expanding a little bit beyond that, but the core of our business is a pure SaaS play. And on average, what are these advisors paying you per month? I, I'm sure you have a lot of cohorts, but on average. Yeah, so Riskalyze starts at 145 bucks a month. So it's extremely affordable for an advisor. And we found the cost is definitely not an objection. Is that what most people pay you though? Is that the average kind of ARPU? Yeah. Okay, got it. So, and then let's go back here to the founding story quickly. So when did you launch the company? What year? 2011. And why? And spent, like, where was your brain at yeah. that point? You know, I, I uh, before this company, I ran global product for division of an options brokerage firm. And I was just struck by how poorly average investors thought about the concept of risk. 
And I, I expressed this to uh, a buddy of mine who was a financial advisor, and he said, if you think that's crazy, you should see how their advisors think about the concept of risk. So from that, a company was born, and he and I are co-founders now. Did you guys just split uh, 50-50? Yeah, started Come the company. Come on, Aaron. That's 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 never fifty fifty is never the right answer. How do you get out no, of a deadlock? It was, it was absolutely. Oh no no no! I'm the CEO. I've been the CEO since day one. He wasn't operationally in the company. I thought you were talking about like when we first started carving up the equity. But that's but, no, that's you know, what I meant. You guys split the equity fifty fifty. Well, yeah, but we quickly brought in. We brought it. We licensed. We 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 acquired some patents as a part of that with stock. We actually raised capital from the beginning, so none of us okay. started. Neither of us started out with fifty-fifty. So, so, but you know, we we were both on the board, and we built a great board around us even before we brought on real investors. You know, by like institutional capital. Okay, um, but our early investors have done very, very well. Um, you know, knock on wood, and, and that's great. We've actually, you know, done a transaction that that bought back some of their shares, and so they've they've seen good returns and and what's have done good, really. What's well. a good return? Like ten percent, twenty percent. No, there are some of our early investors who've earned a 10x return already um, from the company. So that was great for them. Why did you decide to do that? I mean, obviously, you're weighing your cash on your balance sheet, and you're going, okay, it's smarter for us to buy this back and undilute my shares or any common kind of holder shares. Why do that? Yeah, we're we're, we're talking about investors who are um, later in life. And so they were looking for liquidity after being in the company for five years, and they were there for a long time. So we were able to facilitate some of that, you know, as a private transaction. Did you do that and, on and purpose to only raise from old angels so that you have a leverage over them to buy out the company? No, 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 no. I, but, but, you know, That'd it's be interesting. Smart, you know. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, but we, we did, you know, we, we, we were very focused on like going to financial advisors who could see the value and then maybe going a degree out from that network. And that's sort of how we funded the company at the beginning. And we were very, very capital efficient. What was that first um, round of funding? Uh, 400 and my, my number is like $420,000 off the top of my head. Okay. And on, on, on a note or equity? All equity. And we, and we deployed uh, just a little more than $4 million in total capital prior to um, bringing FTB Capital on board last year as our first institutional capital. So we really built a pretty substantial business, uh, you know, where we don't talk about revenue numbers publicly, but, you know, our ARR was actually a multiple of the capital deployed before we went and did institutional capital with FTB. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. So how much total capital have you raised to date? Uh, well, today you take the four and add twenty to it, so twenty-four. Got it. And just to be clear, that yeah. first four million that was from customers, financial advisors, and then maybe one degree out from them. Well, you know, I, it was before they were even customers because we're talking to some friends who were financial advisors, saying, "Hey, this is the idea. Like, we need to go solve this problem." And they loved the concept and and, and got behind it. Then there wasn't an advisor product for two years. Got it. Makes good sense. Okay, and then again, oh. fast forward today. So you raised that much capital. What's team size? Uh, we're now up to 175 riskalizers, okay. as we call them, and um, and it's 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 pretty amazing to see. We were 90 last October, so That's it's amazing. definitely very fast moving target. Where right are you now. based? Uh, we're largely based here in Auburn, California, which is probably two and a half hours north and uh, east of San Francisco. The perfect distance. So sort of get it's it's perfect. We get like like out of the San Francisco craziness. We have like a crazy good talent. People who have decided to move up here and like start a family and raise their kids up here for the quality of life. But um, so amazing talent pool, but very loyal. 
Like we, we've, we've never lost an employee to Facebook and we don't expect to. Right. Um, and then, and then, you know, we also are based in Atlanta on the East coast. So our East coast operations, about 55 of those 175 people now, and Atlanta has been a great market for us. So when we, when we recruit and we try to relocate employees into the area, we can generally give them an option and say, do you want the rural Lake Tahoe kind of lifestyle? Or do you want the urban midtown Atlanta? That's great. And how, how many financial advisors do you have using you to date? We serve 19,000 today across the country. That's great. And are those all paying or are those free and paid? Well, yeah. No, no, no. We don't do any free. I love that. People always, they, they try and trick me. They go, yeah, neither. we have 10 million users. I go, how many are paying? And they go zero. <laughs> and I go, you have no business. That's right. No, no, no. No, we, we started from the beginning. I'll tell you, I'll tell you something as a funny aside. So advisors are notorious for wanting to be really efficient with money. And that's good. I can, I can get behind that. Like, like the, the, the wealthiest people I know are really efficient with their money. Right. So that's, that's a good thing. It's not a bad trait, but, um, at, you know, psychology works in a lot of interesting ways. When we first rolled the product out, uh, we actually tried a free version. We got exactly what we should expect, I guess, from a free version. We got a lot of people asking for more free trials. So we just said, you know, we want to invest like time and effort into getting advisors successful who are willing to invest in their own businesses. So we'll, we'll work with you and we'll make it affordable and we'll make it accessible, but you got to put some skin in the game too. Um, and, and the other thing that was funny is that the product was originally $99 a month. And, you know, we, uh, I, we were just like, like Apple, like the price is the price is the price. We don't negotiate. We don't discount. We don't do any of that kind of stuff. Um, and so I just say we were doing fairly well, but we tested pushing the price up. Uh, I think it was initially to 129 and now to 145. And, you know, like we pushed it to 129 and started discounting back to 99 immediately. And bam, um, our conversion rates like tripled. Right. So we were we were charging the same amount of money, but it was a discount and conversion rates triple. Emotions, baby. Yeah. Today we're at one forty five. We don't do a lot of discounting, but uh, but there you go. Talk to me about some other critical numbers in any SaaS business. What's your gross month, monthly churn look like? Um, our we we measure it as annual retention, okay. and we are um, you know toying with pushing that number. We pushed that number over a hundred percent for the first time in well, give February. Me, give me gross, not net. Yeah, yeah, so gross is in like the low 90s. Okay, got it. So 91, 92%. Turning less than 1% of your customer base, again, gross per month. We, 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 we typically lose advisors to God or golf. Got it. And, so they either die or they retire. And we found a solution. So the solution to God, um, that's still in the advanced research labs. Like we haven't been able to figure that one out yet. Uh, the solution for retirement is actually pretty funny. You bought a golf uh, ball company. No, what they do is they actually figure out who they sold their practice to and say, we can do this really smooth transition of all the data over to the new advisor if you'll introduce us to the new advisor. And then your clients will feel at home because the new advisor will be using the risk number. That's great. And that, that works. The one problem we found is sometimes the new advisor they sold it to is already a customer. Uh, we can't do anything funny. about that. Right? Tell us, well, I, I imagine you have ways to increase ARPU expansion based off some value metric of those financial advisors and how many of their clients are putting on you, right? Yeah. So we, um, you know, a couple of, of things we actually sorry, just, give me, have, sorry, give me the number first. So what, what is your net ARPU expansion annually? And then tell me the drivers you use to grow that don't have that number yet. Oh, you don't um, know because it. We're just tackling it okay. for the first time. And so, you know, a couple of ways, first of all, we just actually installed Zuora went live on January 1st so that we actually are, are capturing. I mean, we, here's what happened. 
we rolled out the advisor product in March of 2013 and it just like exploded. Like we just went into this hyper growth mode and we had like quantify that for me. Uh, we went from, you know, zero to probably, I think we ended the year with like 380 ended the next year with like 2000, 2000 financial advisors on it. Yeah. Customers. So, so it was just, you know, for us, man, you know, with four people in the company and having to start grow a company like that, that was a lot of growth really, really fast. So we were doing a lot of that on spreadsheets, a lot of that just like on Stripe with subscriptions. And it quickly got out of control where we just didn't have everything tied together. We didn't have a lot of good data about things like expansion and contraction and, and all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're getting to the point that we are starting to produce our first version, you know, our first, our first sets of those numbers from the first quarter because we were to start tracking all of that. What are you paying to acquire a new customer on average? Yeah. So we, um, we usually spend um, like direct sales cost probably about $400 our new customer. You want to full load that cost with like our fixed conference and marketing spend, probably about 600 bucks to acquire a new Got it. And what are you, what do you kind of assume in your kind of pro forma's lifetime value is per customer? Um, well, we're, we're pushing up that five year range now. If you look at a traditional LTV calculation. So it's, it's really healthy. It's, it's a great place to be. We love that. And so now talking about that, you know, ARPU expansion, we're, real we're quick, very, we're, sorry, real quick there, Aaron. Can I take again five years or about sixty months multiplied by one hundred forty-five bucks on average per month to assume LTV is somewhere around? You're planning somewhere around eighty-seven hundred bucks. Uh, you broke up a little bit there for a second. Sorry. Sorry, I'm taking sixty months, right? So five years times one hundred forty-five bucks per month is your average ARPU, and assuming your lifetime value, you're saying is somewhere around eighty-seven hundred bucks. I think it's fair to say yeah. I, I I don't have that number in front of me, and you know one of the things I really want are dashboards that update this on a regular basis. But, I, I tell you uh, what, I I use there. this company. I actually I did a big article on this at NathanLacka.com forward slash analytics about I, I searched so hard to find a tool and a dashboard that would do that, and I finally found one. But t- I cut you off there. So so tell so you told me you were you were talking earlier about uh, well, there's a couple of things that we did. Number one is we rolled out a premier. Um, tier of risk allies um, uh, in February. And and that's been great. We we sell about 12% of our new seats in the premier tier right now. And we've done a bunch of upgrades from existing customers. So that's that starts at 245 bucks. So that that, you know, again, just a little bit more depth of features, uh, works on retirement plans, works with, you know, different aspects of an advisor's business. So that's been one way that we've started to grow the sort of that average revenue per advisor yep. uh, as we look at it internally. And then the other big thing is the new autopilot platform that's rolling out. That really gives us the opportunity. We're, we're focused on delivering like, a, you know, real numbers about a 50x impact on efficiency in what it takes for an advisor to actually implement the investment decisions that they make for their clients. And in exchange for that 50x impact on efficiency, we're probably going to capture as much as a 10x impact on our own revenue mm-hmm. on that advisor. Um, I want to I want to talk more about that in a second and relate it back to Warren Buffett. But first, uh, can, I mean, this if I'm doing the math correctly, you're super healthy business. Can I take 19,000 customers that you said earlier times about 145 bucks per month and assume you're doing north of 2.7 per month in MRR? Um, not quite. And again, we can't re- we can't release that number. Well, I, just, but... I just took your numbers, though, Alan. So which one of those is wrong? 19,000 or 145? Um, I, the, the number that I can, you know, we've got lots of enterprise deals. We've got lots of different uh, ways to look at that revenue, 
But bottom line is um, 19,000 financial advisors. Okay, got it. So so you may have had people on in your early days that you gave maybe it for lesser and you grandfathered them in, and so their number might actually be— Deals today. So I'm talking about the average price that an advisor comes on for. Maybe I'm talking median price. Got it. But you know, I, 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 again, it's something in a highly competitive industry— uh, we just don't release revenue numbers. You no, know, I'm. I, I don't understand why that. I'm just taking math from numbers you gave me, sure. right? So, so sure. what? Just to clarify, that $145 ARPU you gave me is not your ARPU. That's what new customers are paying on average, not the ARPU across your historical customer say. base. Fair to say. Got it. Okay, so you're lower than 2.7 million per month. Can't comment. Okay, I, I I'm I'm doing the math from your numbers, but that makes sense. Um, take me back. Uh, well, let me see here. Let me make sure. Uh, I got all that. Good. Okay. So let's listen. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. These are easy, like super easy questions compared to what I fired at you. You ready? Yeah. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Okay. Favorite business book. Um, it would have to be extreme ownership right now with Jocko, by Jocko Willink. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that one, but it's, it's something else. It's, it's a couple of Navy SEALs uh, who fought in Iraq and uh, and are taking sort of the principles of how Navy SEALs and how their how their units work and applying them to business leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I just bought that for every member of my senior leadership team, and they're all reading it right now. We're having dinner next month to to talk it over. That's great. And I'm going to actually interrupt the famous five for a second because I remembered I wanted to ask about this. Why isn't Warren Buffett sending everybody to risk lies and instead he's saying go invest in a low expense ratio Vanguard 500? Um, Vanguard 500 is a fantastic investment. It's on the Riskalyze platform, and we can figure out who that fits. But a Vanguard 500 is about a risk 78. So it's going to fit the people who are in the 70s and 80s on the risk spectrum. And there's a lot of people who, if they put all of their money in the in, in the Vanguard 500, are going to slap out of that at a long time because guess what? They don't want Warren Buffett's risk tolerance. Yeah, but I mean, Warren Buffett doesn't say, ah, this is what I do. He says, for those of you listening, wanting financial advice, there's nothing stronger. There's nothing better than putting your money in a low expense ratio thing. So when I hear you, and he even, he even goes out and specifically says, if you work with an advisor, you're losing percentage to that advisor. You're having to pay them over time. So, so Aaron, so with that in mind, if you were talking to Warren right now, what would you tell him? I would fantastic advice. And Vanguard, the Vanguard 500 fund, for example, should be a, a big part of most people's portfolio. But what about the person who is a risk 45 and the Vanguard fund is a risk 78 and market dropped? They're going to sort of freak out and they're going to sell at exactly the wrong time when the market is low. Mm-hmm. Warren would look at that and go, that's a good point. People are individuals. They're spread across the risk number spectrum. We can find a low cost type of portfolio that actually fits their risk number rather than stuffing everybody into a one-size-fits-all box at a risk 78. But the hypothetical you just gave where everything crashes and they sell is not what Warren recommends. He says, put in the Vanguard 500 in a weighted cost way where it's a certain thing every single month, no matter what happens. So again, I think that's probably how he'd respond when you say that. This way, some of the best people in our industry are saying, I'm going to read what one is saying in some different words. Look, don't open your statements. Don't watch television. Just ignore all the news out there. Just, you know, buy that that Vanguard fund that represents the whole market and just let it run. That's, you know, great advice. There's only one problem with it. Humans are incapable of following that advice. So it's our belief that- I mean, like, I, would disagree like, I would disagree with that. That's why they've got $4 trillion under management. No, 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 no. I'm not talking against Vanguard. Vanguard's awesome. 
My point is, is that you can't just say to somebody, you should put all your money into something that is higher risk than you can handle and just let it run and ignore it. Mathematically, Warren is right that over the long term, that person will make more money. Okay. But if you're if you're in a situation where you're going to sell anyway out of fear, you're better off accepting a lower long-term return and staying invested for the long run, which is the real core of what Warren is trying to say. So you're saying if people don't, don't want to listen, try to buy and sell and beat the market. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what, based on what I've heard from Warren, and I've been to the investor conference, and I'm sure you've studied the heck out of him considering your background. I mean, he doesn't say buy or sell, right? He says ignore the right. emotions. So like your hypothetical you keep giving of people freak out and sell at the bottom is not what Warren's recommending. No, totally. My my point is, is people do that. Well, yeah. And the risk first, what stops them from doing that? Because they go, I've got a portfolio that is actually going to fit me. So it's easy for Warren to say to everybody in the world, buy a risk 78 investment and ignore your emotions. It's easier for Warren to say to everybody in the world, ignore your emotions because what you bought fits you and what you can handle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see this, I mean, look, this is, uh, I've, I've, my mom is like, Nathan, you're making money. You need to meet with an advisor. Every time I do the first question is when do you want to retire? It's the stupidest question ever. Cause I, I don't even know what retirement means. I, it just doesn't even make comprehend in my brain. So I'll never oh. work with an advisor. And also the ones that I do kind of like, then they finally give me their little fee sheet and I go, you're crazy. I'll, I don't, yep. I don't need this. So like, and, and many people like Wealthfront and Vanguard, I've had both of them on would argue like, we don't need advisors. So like, do you, do, I mean, how does it feel being latched on the back of things that, you know, Warren Buffett and Vanguard and Andy and John Stein and Betterment are saying we don't need advisors. So look, I don't use a financial advisor right now, but I'll tell you what, I probably will in two or three years because life has changed for me. I own a company that, you know, is, is creating wealth for a lot of people inside of our company. So I'm going to have more to think about. I'm going to have taxes to worry about. I'm going to have some tax. I could create a lot of tax alpha for myself with some good financial advice in two, three, four years. I've got kids. I need to think about trusts. I need to think about inheritance taxes down the road and how to minimize those and maximize what I can pass on to my kids. I want to think about like intentional giving to the school project in Ethiopia we're involved in and how to make sure I can maximize that in the context of taxes. So, you know, the idea of advisor as person who who is your is just like unlocks the secret of what magical funds to invest in to get a re good return, that ship is sailed. Like that's gone. That's not why you should use a financial advisor. The reason to use a financial advisor is a lot more complex than that. And I would argue that at your stage in life, you probably don't need to. At my stage in life, right at this moment, I don't have one either. But in the future, I think it's gonna make sense for me for a lot of reasons. And to go back to the core point, I completely agree that what we want to do is get emotion out of it. Stop trying to beat the market. That's one of the core points of our message is that's right. Stop trying to beat the market. Get yourself aligned with how much risk you can handle so that you can stay invested as a long-term investor. These advisors, though, don't make money unless they're convincing you to change. They, they make money off velocity of you know new stocks being sold or stocks being bought. Or Do you agree with that or not? not? No, that's not true. The new fiduciary advisor charges a flat fee based on your assets, okay? And they and and they they make the same amount of money whether you don't change anything at all or whether you do. In fact, one of the really controversial things in our industry is that a lot of advisors are fighting against is the SEC will come in and say, "Hey, you're charging this management fee to help somebody manage their money, and you haven't executed any trades in the client's account for the last year." That, that, you know, we're going to assess a penalty against you, Mr. Advisor. And advisors are going, wait a minute, what if the right decision for the client is not to change anything? So there's a lot of discussion going on in our industry around that. And so, yeah, the old line brokers got paid commissions for transactions. I would say the vast majority of the industry is beyond that. And, you know, if, if we want to have a debate around the value of human advice, 
Um, that's one that I think that we're, you know, long since in the process of winning. Very good. I know you guys enjoy listening to every episode each morning, but what if there was an easy way for you to get all of the data I capture on my podcast in a very simple Excel-like format, where you just go there, you view it, you sort all the companies by revenue or CAC or ARPU or lifetime value or churn or gross margin or valuation, whatever you want. You can now get it. I spent $25,000 to build a beautiful piece of website. Okay, that's what we'll call it a beautiful piece of website. It's getlatka.com. G-E-T-L-A-T-K-A dot com. Now here's the deal. This data is super valuable. I think Mattermark, CB Insights, PitchBook, they do a great job with data, but they don't tell you revenue and customer counts and revenue per employee and gross margin. This is stuff I have that nobody else has because I've done the interviews. If you want to be and get an advantage, I'm only giving it to 10 new people every month. 10 people. So if you're hearing this now, you're probably one of the first. Go to getlatka.com and sign up immediately. It's free to use, free to check out, but it's a great resource. I'm only giving it to 10 people every month so that it's a real advantage. You know, if I give it to everybody, it's not an advantage anymore. So only 10. Go to getlatka.com for the top 200 B2B SaaS companies and all the data laid right there for you to study, analyze, interpret, and get an unfair advantage. That's G-E-T-L-A-T-K-A.com. All right, Aaron, let's pick back up here with the famous five. Number one, again, you told me your favorite book was Jocko's book, Extreme Ownership. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? So that tracks back to really my other favorite book, um, which is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Ben was the CEO of uh, LoudCloud, which became Opsware, um, and now is, of course, at Andreessen Horowitz. And you know, the, the thing I love the most about Ben is that he doesn't waste your time telling you how to do things that are obvious, like hire smart people. Um, but like the book is full of like, when things go wrong, how do you deal with it? And it's been incredibly helpful for me. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have, like Acuity Scheduling? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I was struggling with this one, thinking about it, because you ask these questions to all your guests. It's somewhere between like Twitter and maybe Evernote, um, you know, and then, and then, I don't know, maybe Uber. So you you mentioned you, you knew that question was coming. You're li- you're listening to the show. You're enjoying it. Absolutely, it's a blast. Why do you listen? Um, I you know just getting to listen to a bunch of different leaders is really interesting. Is it what you expected now being on on yourself? Absolutely, <laughs> awesome. Number Absolutely. four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, shoot for seven, get six. All right, and uh, what's your current situation? Married, single? Do you have kids? I'm married. Um, have been married for 16 years. Congrats. Um, I met my future wife when I was 14 and she was 12. I decided the second time I met her that I wanted to marry her. She did not like me at all. So that was an eight-year sales cycle, but uh, managed to close that deal. You said, baby, your uh, risk score is seven. You got to come get me, right? Exactly. (laughs) We have three kids. Our family looks a little different. We have adopted three times. So my first is uh, 10 years old. He was born in South Korea, came home at eight months old. Uh, my daughter is eight years old. She was born in Ethiopia, also came home at eight months old. And then our oldest just joined us about a year ago. Uh, and he is uh, uh, going to turn 13 in July. And he was also born in Ethiopia. And we are now renaming them Eeny, Meeny, and Miney because there ain't going to be no Mo. I love that. That's so funny. Is that them behind you on your desk? That, that is them behind yeah. me. Yes. Very Absolutely. cool. And how old are you, Aaron? I am 38. All right. Take us home. Take us back 18 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Oh boy. Um, 
Probably that like the most important skill that you will ever have in starting a company is making great hiring decisions. I don't think I realized, and there was somebody much wiser than me once who who said to me, uh, you know what your Achilles heel is? And I'm like, okay, yeah, tell me. You know, he goes, you think that with enough hard work, anybody can do any job. He goes, and it's just not true. Like you have to figure out how to filter through people and understand who's capable of doing this and who's capable of doing that, or you're gonna keep having the wrong people in the wrong jobs. So really important lesson that I learned uh, I wasn't too far after 20, but I probably didn't learn it until 25, 26, and it served me well. There you guys have it. Again, Aaron launched Risklize back in 2011, under, uh, underscores the importance of making great hires. He's done it 175 times. That's his team size to date. Again, they raised 24 million bucks, helping over 19,000 paying financial advisors who now are paying 145 bucks a month when they join the platform. Uh, they've got a, a, a annual retention rate that's in the low 90s, so super healthy. Spending on average 400 bucks to acquire, call it an $8,000 lifetime value customer. Again, based there north of San Francisco in Auburn, California. Aaron, thank you for taking us to the top. Great to be with you. If you enjoyed Aaron today, go back and listen to Andrew yesterday and learn why people pay him $10 million plus per year. That's equivalent to $4 for every $10 his ad agency manages. 